What's going on, folks? Thanks for joining me on another episode of the Duck Gun Podcast. I'm Jordan from Duck Gun Chronicles, and I got my co-host alongside me, the Duck Tater himself, Elliot from Freelance Duck Gun. How are you doing tonight, Elliot? I'm doing great. Um, we are ready to talk more waterfowl hunting here as summer kind of gets rolling. And it's been hot, man. Today for us, it was hot. It's been we've been having quite a bit of rain, and the humidity's just kicked in in the last few days. Which is awful. Kansas humidity is <laughs> terrible. I don't know about Indiana, but Kansas humidity is terrible. Yeah, Indiana is pretty awful too. I feel like any of those big farming states, it seems like the humidity. I have no, I have no idea what it has to do with farming, but it just seems like those big farming country states. You know, but obviously not. The further west you get, everybody talks about dry heat. I've never been out there long enough or enough times in my life to actually know if dry heat. Everyone says it's real. I mean, do you have an experience with dry heat? <laughs> yes. Yeah. You go into Colorado and a 90 degree day doesn't even feel hot to me. Huh. The thing that I hate so much about heat is humidity. Like here in Kansas, when it's 95 degrees and humid, I'll walk outside. If I'm outside for three minutes, I'm sweating. I mean, it's immediately, but you go into Colorado on a 90 degree day, it doesn't feel that bad. You just don't sweat. There's no sweating involved in it. So it's, it's, not bad 90 degrees and no humidity is not a big deal i couldn't believe it i, mean, I remember the moment i was like oh my gosh it's like no humidity is what i hate it's not the temperature it's the humidity that sucks so bad yeah no, that's definitely interesting for sure so i mean i guess i just always assume the sweat is just like you know from us not from like the air kind of i don't know yeah i'm not <laughs> I'm yeah, not, I don't. I don't know the science behind it, but I can tell you, with dry heat, the sweating doesn't happen like it does with humidity. Yeah, that would all. be that would be very nice. I have to admit, that'd be very nice. Um, you know, uh, I sent you some Marco Polos of this, but this week I had to uh, bail hay, and we did it after work from like five o'clock till I think I got none about um, twenty after ten, and it was when we started. It was upper eighties. It was. Pretty stinking hot. No, it's not fun at all. I know you sent that, and I didn't even know that you ever did anything like that. So it's like one day you're at the uh, snake swamp doing building stuff. Then the next day you're working in your bus, and the next day you're bailing hay. I'm like, geez, you are one active, active individual, Jordan. Yeah, I don't, I don't like to do nothing. Uh, if I sit down for like, I don't even know, like 30, 40 minutes, like max, and I just like, I have to get up and do something. I just can't. Not, not me. I can't do nothing. <clears throat> oh, man, I'm good at it. Well, with me, it's like, you know, especially this time of year, well, it, all, all year, there's always an editing project to work on, right? There's always oh, yeah. is. So with what we do. So, um, you know, my wife is an illustrator, so she's always in the, in the room in her chair doing her artwork and so i'm sitting on the couch and just working on it i was working on izzy's tribute video that's what i've been working on lately but um i think it's gonna be pretty good um but awesome. i'm working on that if i'm not doing that i'm playing rocket league if i'm not doing that then i'm watching youtube videos but i can sit just probably i wish i couldn't sit quite as well as i can but i think my wife's giving me a hint because she she uh, took away my comfortable couch and <laughs> uh got me a couch that's not comfortable so i think maybe that's she's a, hoping it'll get me off the couch a little more it's a little subtle hint to to get up and 
Don't get too comfortable. But man, I'll tell you, I know that you've cut cable. You don't have cable TV, do you? No, no, we don't have cable TV. Uh, I mean, I do. I have YouTube TV, which is like very similar, but it's digital. Mm-hmm. And I really yeah. only got that to watch basketball, and then I've kind of kept it. So <laughs> there's yeah. been there's been I've, years I cut it in between season, but then they like mm-hmm. they they raise the price every year. So I don't know. Yeah, I have not regretted cutting cable for one second. So I guess the reason I bring that up is just like I always have something to do on the couch. It's edit, like I said, editing or. The one video game I play, which is Rocket League, which is awesome. But, I mean, there's always something to do, something to tinker with. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Definitely always something, for sure, especially with the editing and all that. So I know we've both been knocking it out, a lot of videos. So, guys, stay tuned. Closer we get to season, there'll be a lot of videos, a lot of waterfall videos dropping. So, um, you know, we'll kind of drop them as everybody's getting excited. At least that's my plan, and I think you got to – a similar plan to Elliot. Yep. I'm holding all of mine until the last week of July. And then it's going to be four a week clearing through the middle of September, which then it'll drop off to two a week, but I've got them. I've got them all lined up as far as what they're going to be, what date they're going to drop everything. I, I went through and got it all lined up. And then, um, I've already started my, the, like the first video out, it's going to be the Izzy video. So I'm working on that. I'm just going to go through, you know, chronological order just start knocking them knocking them out which i'm i'm a lot more motivated and into making and editing videos in june this year than i ever have been awesome that's cool i'm excited about it yeah that's good that's good for sure and i'm i'm on the the same train as you i think i got i honestly i have most of mine done i would i would say i have the majority of mine done which is crazy yeah it is uh, you know just straight after season i just started cranking on them because i knew it was going to have to work on these projects, but now I'm kind of, uh, wondering about my strategy because it's, like I said, it's hot and now I got to get, get out there and, and get cracking on that, on the bus, on the bus build. Um, which mm-hmm. is like, honestly, that's like my number one question I get now. People want to know about the bus, get bus updates. I'm like, there's not a ton to update on yet. I'm working on it. So, um, almost gutted completely, which I think I've been saying that like the last few weeks, but now it's, it's getting back to what I was saying. It's 89 degrees outside. Well, it's not 89 degrees. I'm, I think I'm exaggerating a little bit. But it's been in the 80s the last week or so, and I don't know how excited I am to be in the bus in 80 degrees. So maybe I have to switch my sleep schedule or something, start getting up super early before before work to start cranking it out because i got to do something to get it rolling. Or you need to just get some of those hanging lights and maybe work um, – in the evenings or I'm sure or get a big fans in there or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Either way I will get it. I will. I am motivated to get that done now that I've kind of got caught up on a lot of things. I'm on the snake swamp too on that update. Um, I did show you, I did show you the video on that, um, which I'm super, awesome. I'm super excited with how it, how it's panning out, how it's starting to turn out. Um, but now like my next step in the, the snake swamp is getting the blinds up. And so I'm like, if I want to get three blinds in there, if I do one blind a month for the next for the next three months, you know, that take me up to season. So that's kind of my thought on it. If I can spend like three or four days on each blind, I think I can manage that. So, what if you had a floating blind? That's what that I'm doing. You could move like and just make oh, a blind. Yeah, I think we talked. 
I think that the problem with that is it's not going to be stable enough. Um, and you'd have to stake it down. And then I just worry about every morning having to do that and the extra time it would take. And not only that, but there's always dead trees falling through there and, and all kinds yeah. of stuff since it's a swamp, you know? Um, well, that video you made was really, really great. In fact, on Patreon, Tom Markley, I don't know if you saw it. He was commenting on it today because that's one thing on Patreon is like those videos go there. Teasers and stuff go there all the time. So, um, yeah. And that was like the way that he commented on that today or not. Yeah. Yeah. I saw that. Yep. Giving me, giving me props on that. And I just got some sweet, sweet drone footage, but um, one thing I'll kind of say on that is it's like the way too early draft. Like, <laughs> I think that's what I actually titled it, um, which mm. I mean, a lot of it was how it's going to be. But as far as like the intro and all that, it's like I don't have, you know, I talk about things in the voiceover for the intro that haven't happened yet. So, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. So I couldn't put that footage in yet, um, but still got it. Kind of It's sweet, though. Yeah, it looks awesome. It's it looks finished. Awesome. Well, that's what I was going for, but yeah, definitely, I, definitely. I got my new that. intro done. What, what did you think of the new intro oh, yeah. for my videos for next year? Do you like that? Yeah, yeah. It's uh, you know, definitely an FDH staple having the intro to your waterfowl season. So, um, yeah, you know, we talked about it earlier, and you said ah, I'm not going to make one this year. I'm like, what if I start a petition? <laughs> so I know that's when I was like, okay, <laughs> that's all it took. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, you know, I mean, that just takes so long to make because I go through every single video from the season. So there was 32 of them or something. I, I maybe didn't go through three of them that I knew I didn't want any stuff from. So, like, I go through every single video and chop every little piece out of it that I like and then go back through. So, I mean, and then just, I mean, micromanage every second because I've got, like, 25 seconds on there. So it, it takes forever. And just deciding which clips to use i mean jeez it's a, it's a big thing for a 25 second deal it's a lot of time it's time consuming oh yeah i hear you for sure but you know I'm every year got it done, yeah every year you come out with a good one so yeah i'm happy with it i'm i'm happy with it every every year has a little different flavor to it and i'm pretty happy with how that one turned out so um you went to the hunt test right Yes. Now, right now, my the two things that are the three things that are really obsessing my mind right now is the boat blind, which we're moving forward on that, and the making the videos, but then getting Georgie ready for her first HRC hunt test, which is June nineteenth and twentieth. And I have been really, I mean, I've been consistent. I'm working that dog and working and working and working and working. So if, if she fails, it is not going to be from lack of effort. It's going to be from lack of knowledge. You know, this is the first dog that I've ever put this level of effort into training with Izzy. It was just meat dog. I want you to be steady. There were two goals for Izzy. I had be steady and bring the bird all the way back to me. Those were the two goals. And she met those for the most part. She was a little unsteady every now and then. And with the, when it got cold, she would drop the bird at the bank sometimes, but she met those goals. And, and after she got that, I didn't train her anymore. But with Georgie, I'm like, you know what? I got this high powered dog from Flatlander Kennels, Chris Jobman out there. And he's going to be on in a couple weeks um, before I do the hunt test. So he's going to kind of, I'll be able to pick his brain a little bit, but I'm like, you know, I've got this high powered, high octane dog. 
I've got this training system that we're using through Freddie King, the retrievertrainer.com. Why not go through the videos and see exactly how far I can get her? And then along the way, I'm like, you know what? She's far enough along. Let's try to mess around with this hunt, with this hunt test stuff, because, you know, I've never done it before. My dad did it a little bit. So last Saturday, there was a hunt test only an hour away from me here in Kansas. And so my dad and my mom and I drove down there and I just observed, um, observed them. And so in HRC, there's three levels. You've got started, seasoned, and finished. And so I didn't really watch any of the started stuff. I watched a lot of the seasoned and a lot of the finished. And it was really, really fun. I'm more excited about getting into this hunt test stuff than I was before just from being in that environment. It was just cool. All the people there were cool. The dogs. One of the things that really struck me is that the dogs, all that that many hybrid dogs in one area they just it's like going to a division one track meet or something where you see the athletes and you can visually those division one athletes look like athletes it was like that with the dogs too and i just i don't know why it struck me it's like every dog was just like athletic looking and beautiful and and that part was if they're going to if they're going to the hunts too one you know probably a lot of dogs with really good genetics but also i mean these people are running their dogs just all the time, you know, mm-hmm. and, and I can see the difference in chief, like right now compared to like the end of season where we hunted, you know, multiple times a week. And he was like fit, you know, fit and muscly. And, and, you know, the difference is now he's just been uh, a couch potato for, you know, since February. So <laughs> all yeah. those guys there have been running their dogs hard, you know, long blinds and all that. Yeah. Yeah. And these dogs are in shape. And just beautiful, beautiful animals. And after watching the seasoned, I would be really, really surprised if Georgie didn't pass the seasoned. Now, everyone keeps telling me that dogs act funny in these situations and they don't act like themselves. But there's nothing about the season that she can't do. So they basically, you start off with a blind that's only about a 40-yard blind. And it's just a cold blind. And after that, they throw a bird up and you shoot. They throw another bird up and you shoot. And then they have to go get the double. And those are about 60, 65 yards. And um, then on the one of the last ones back, they throw up another bird over the dog's head as they're bringing the bird back and you shoot the shotgun again. And they can't, they have to stay, bring the bird back without going to that diversion bird. And that's the land portion. The water, I actually didn't see the water portion, but it's very similar. It's just on water. And so I, I really, I think she can pass it. I, I, I'll be, I'll be really surprised if she doesn't. And I went over to the finished and the finished was the same thing, except it was a triple instead of a double. And all the distances were like 25% longer. So the blind was at about 80 yards. The retrieves were pushing a hundred yards. So it's, it's just a triple instead of a double. And then everything's farther back. Um, I think on a good day, she could probably pass the finished, but it the the blind was the one thing that would give me concern. You know, a eighty yard blind after she's been running a bunch of a triple might give her some issues. And there's some certain rules like how many times you can actually handle actually handle the dog. But yeah, it's just like I came back feeling pretty confident about. It's just about a couple times, problems. right? You can act on. See, I'm not sure on finished on seasoned. You only get to handle them. To handle them means on one of the marks on one of the retrieves, not including the blind you can whistle them as much as you want. So, oh, but only on one. 
okay. of the and that's land and water. So there's four total, and you can only whistle them and give them hand directions on one of those four. And then you can't use e collars, right? You can't use e collars, correct? Yeah. See, yeah. that's that's where I think a lot of people would run into issues because if if you if your dog some, does something funky, like when you're hunting, you, I mean, you just hit them with that e collar, and they they're like, oh yeah, I got to listen. But as soon yeah. <laughs> you know, as soon as you as soon as they realize, you know. Yeah, that's a big difference, you know, I, and I see it with Chief just even in the backyard. Like if he didn't have his e-collar on and you say something to him, it's like, but like if if he has his e-collar on, uh, I don't know what you do, but like it, it, I say it once. If he doesn't listen the second time I say it and I nick him and then it's just like, bam, you know, it's just like it's like a magic wand. It really is. It is. <laughs> and so that's the thing about it obviously they got to do it without that. So that's I think that's a a big difference from like actual hunting for sure. Yeah, it is. And I've started um, doing some of my training with that. Now, Georgie is, she's an unusual animal, I'm telling you, because she is so high-spirited and and has so much desire. She was faster than, and more desire, well, not necessarily more desire, but faster than any dog I saw out there. Um, <laughs> more but, desirable to you. <laughs> right? Yeah, I mean, more desire. There was one dog oh, that okay, just gotcha, rushed gotcha. it there was one dog that just absolutely crushed it on finished. And that dog was like chomping at the bit to retrieve. That dog was super high drive and man, it was an amazing dog. But, um, with Georgie, she just is so ever since I trained her with the e-collar, it doesn't matter whether I have the e-collar on or not. Um, if I'm training her and I, and I call her, she just obeys. I mean, now if, if let's say a rabbit all of a sudden ran out or something, I might have some issues, but for the most part, she acts the same mm. with the e-collar and without the e-collar. So I'm not really that concerned about that because once once I e-collar trained her and and man, I'll tell you, if you guys are getting ready to e-collar train your dog, listen to our podcast with Chris Jobman because I followed his advice from start to finish on it. And and honestly, I can't tell a difference when she does and doesn't have the e-collar on out training or in the field. They're just, I mean, she is just so responsive to everything that I say, even if she breaks the, the, the few times this year that she broke, I, if I yelled, she would stop. And even Izzy wouldn't do that. I mean, and Izzy was super low energy compared to Georgie. So I'm not really that worried about that one. I felt like I could tell the dogs that didn't have e-collars, several of them, because there, there's some dogs that just didn't do well and the dogs got away from the handlers and they just stopped listening to them. And I'm like, I bet you that's a dog that doesn't have any, ever use an e-collar either that, or like you say, they just get used to, I think just the, the way Chris job, Chris job and trains it to the e-collar is just so effective. Maybe. Yeah. See with chief, I didn't start him on e-collar till he was like three plus. So, um, I wonder if like some of that, like it's just habit, right? She's always had mm-hmm. to. And then like, whenever she got an inkling not to, it's like, Oh, that e-collar, bam, it hit me. I better never do that again with chief. It's like, he almost needs a reminder. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> and then after that first reminder, he's like, he's solid. Like, it's like you call him snap and he comes right back to you, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but you have to get that. I got to get that first Nick on him. <laughs> and yeah. once I do that, once I get that first Nick on him, then he's like totally with it. But if I, if I don't get that first Nick, I have to get that first Nick first before, before mm-hmm. he he's a uh, 100% responsive. And I was wondering, you know, starting him older compared to starting a, a dog younger, how much that affects him. Probably a lot. I'm sure. I'm sure it does. 
Awesome. Well, it'll be cool but, to see. Oh, but like I didn't fill it. I didn't finish it out. So anyway, the, oh, okay. I'm. That's my goal is to get after watching the HRC test. Now just to train my butt off with her until the nineteenth, and I'll be making a video of that and vlogging it. And so, super super excited. And four four passes in season would give her her HRC seasoned title. And nice. then I'll move. I'm hoping to move her up to finish next summer. Is my hope. Awesome, man. Well, can't wait to see the videos on that and, and see how it all goes. It's definitely a definitely cool experience going out and hanging out with a lot of dog guys. I wish we had one. I wish I had more time and one near me, but our closest one's like an hour away. So I did it for a little while, and I love the idea of it, but I just feel like I can't spare the time. I don't know. So, yeah. But I, I, I maybe at some point, again, I'll try to jump back into it because even just talking, to, hearing you talk about it, I'm like, I get the, I get the itch, but it's just like, I got the itch for way too many things right now. So, <laughs> yeah, I hear you. I hear you. But I've, I've, you know, I'm, I'm not working now and again until the beginning of August. So I got, I'm gonna, I'm gonna move to two a days. So I got plenty of time. Gotcha. Awesome. Well, we'll see. We'll see how it goes, and hopefully, it goes as as uh, good as your expectations on it. I'm sure it will. So, um, but yeah, let's go ahead. Let's I get, hope. let's get a quick word from our partners. Well, actually, let's let's mention what our topic for today so topic for today um we're going to be going over some of the banding data and hatch data that delta's put out and just some really really cool interesting things that um when i started looking at it i'm like man me and Elliot gotta dive deep into this stuff and and you know see what kind of cool information we can pull from it so share it with you guys that's going to be our topic for the day so stay tuned for that but before that let's get a quick word from our partners and we'll jump on into it so first off like to give a big thanks to onyx partnering with us on the podcast um guys if you haven't checked out onyx then you are missing out if your buddies are not even your buddies but if other people in the area are using onyx and you're not you're definitely at a disadvantage when it comes to gaining access to land um for private land it's you know i drive around i'll open that up all the time see where the feed's at see where birds are see a piece of water that i want to hunt and bam you can click right on it it gives you the tax information of the landowner right then and there you can type it into google maps drive to their their house and ask them for permission on it. it's just that simple and without that you know it's you know if you got to do all the other stuff to try to jump through hoops and, and have a like a plat book or something like that um that's just a really outdated system compared to onyx um not only that but you know where you stand on public land as well all the boundaries check them out guys onyx dot or onyx.com for or is it onyx.com elliot <laughs> onyx hunt i'm not sure just put it onyx hunt onyx okay. hunt on the website and on the app they got it for apple and android check them out Guys, Jordan and I have decided to give away a hunt for this coming season. It's going to be hunting with me and, fingers crossed, Jordan. We're, we're going to really try to work out the schedule so that he can be here too, but it's going to be in my home state. So you have the chance to win a hunt with me and possibly Jordan, and we're actually going to pay some of the travel expenses and some of that. So in order to get entered for this giveaway, you need to come join Jordan and I over on Patreon. It's patreon.com slash freelance duck hunting and that will enter you and and we'll give you more details over at patreon we'll, we'll release a 
um, video about it, just kind of giving the description of of how many entries that you can get and, and what the details are. And, and I'm thinking, Jordan, that we should probably have the giveaway either late August or early September. We haven't set an actual date for this yet, but we're going to have a drawing and we're going to give it's going to be whoever gets drawn plus one. And it's going to be sometime during this this season. So if you would like to get entered into that drawing for that hunt giveaway, patreon.com slash freelance duck hunting. You do need to become a patron. And then over at Patreon, we have lots of bonus content, insider information. Like Jordan said, you know, he's working on a video. And he's like, here's what I've got so far. And I was doing out through the intro um, as I was making that. It's like, what do you guys think of this? What do you guys think of that? It's 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 an eye. And I've actually used Patreon for advice. Like, hey, guys, what do you think about this? Help me you know, with some advice on this, whatever, some, um, podcasts that we call, um, podcast after dark, they're just exclusive only to patron Patreon over there. So head on over and check it out and let us know what you think. Awesome. Also like to give a big thanks out to bandit Avery and Greenhead gear. Um, guys off season, it's time to start putting your gear list together. And Ellie actually got this in the mail. I bought a banded long sleeve shirt. Um, getting ready for dove season or going out in the snake swamp because I don't want to get poison oak. So I got to wear long sleeve shirts. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, band has got everything you need from camo decoys, dog training gear, um, dog hunting gear, blinds, ladders for your boat, whatever they got. It's the one-stop shop for waterfowl equipment over there at banded Avery and greenhead gear. It's banded.com houses, all that stuff. You can search it on there. Um, but Elliot and me are both putting together our list of everything that we need that's broke or that we need to replace or things that we want that maybe we don't need, but are really cool (laughs) to get. Yeah. Lots of that. So, um, check them out over there. You won't be disappointed. Banded.com. All right. Let's go ahead and jump on into today's podcast. So Elliot, I sent you some of these, some of these posts made by, um, Delta and thought they were really, really cool. So um, started off, one of the posts read that 90% of North America's ducks are hatched in the prairie pothole. Did I say 90? 70%. Seven, yeah. 70% of North America's ducks are hatched in the prairie pothole region. Did you know that? No, I I, I had no idea. I, I thought that that was just um, the majority of the ducks for the central flyway were up there. I didn't realize it was 70% at yeah. all. Yeah, seventy. And guys, we'll post of, of we'll North post America. these maps. We'll post these maps on our um, Facebook group, Fellowship of the Duck Gun, so you can take a look at the, exactly what we're talking about and, and what we're going through to to see them. I was I was surprised about this that Nebraska isn't considered in that prairie pothole region. I was surprised by that. Um. Yeah. Yeah. It's just not in there. So, um. And from what they show on their on their map there and. Um, it goes through Canada. It goes through a north northern part of Montana. Then, obviously, a majority of the Dakotas, North Dakota, and then the eastern half of South Dakota, and then even goes into Minnesota and Iowa. So, yeah, mm-hmm. crazy that that you know. I guess I didn't realize the prairie pothole went as far south um, or southeast, I should say. Um, and that as well. But yeah, definitely cool inf- uh, information on that graft. But um, that's kind of just information to uh, kind of share when we go into the rest of the data. So um, they actually did a drop on a bunch of different birds and the data that they gathered from banding. And it's not all about the bands. 
I mean, we love shooting bands, but that's not why we're going over the information. It's to actually see kind of where they migrate from. They were all, all these birds were banded in the prairie pothole region, so different species, um, and then seeing where they were banded from there. So um, I did I did drop in three other images, Elliot, just so you can see kind of like they had ringneck, canvasback, and redhead, and they showed mm-hmm. their core breeding areas as well. So like redheads were right through the prairie pothole region. Um, and then they had like a, a one-off in Wyoming as well. So, <laughs> um, which I thought was pretty unique. And then canvasback, same yeah. thing. Canvasback was through the North part of the Prairie pothole region. And then they also bred up there in Alaska, which I did not know. Um, and then red or ringneck ducks, um, had a big section, uh, through Canada, nothing in, in, uh, the, in, the U.S. and then they also have a, a large breeding section that's like just over me, like right over Michigan and to the east. And then they had a breeding population over there in uh, Maine. So uh, definitely really interesting. Honestly, I wish that uh, they would drop more infogra- infographics like that for the rest of the species, just because it's really cool to kind of see where their core breeding ranges are and kind of to be able to see that. So is this, is this information new to you, Elliot, or did you, were you kind of aware of, of this stuff? No, I've, I've not never seen any images that show specifically the, um, each species. So I wouldn't have had any idea, for example, that ringnecks breed so much farther North than a lot of the other ducks and not in, the lower 48 at all same with canvas back not in the lower 48 at all then you get redhead and you've got a bunch in north and south dakota mm-hmm. which is interesting because that's straight north of where we hunt and we shoot a lot of redheads but we don't shoot many canvas backs shoot quite a few so yeah this stuff this stuff is uh it's new to me and one, one thing i would be curious about is what percent of bird of the waterfowl migrate through the mississippi and the central flyway Is it 70% or is it um, less than that? And these birds actually travel into California and over to the East coast a lot as well. I would be really curious to know. And I would I told you this, we've had John Devney. He's um, I forget what his title is, but he's a higher up for Delta on several times. I would love to have him on here with us soon and and go over some of this stuff and the, the current um, conditions of the pothole region as well. Oh yeah. Yeah. For sure. Definitely agree with that. So hopefully we can get that lined up. Um, but yeah, like with what you're saying about the migration, you can see um, with the banding data where they've, where, where these birds have been shot at. So they've bred in the prairie, prairie pothole region and then their band data was collected as in hunters shot them and that band data went back. And so then they made, I would, I would call it a heat map. So you see all the little dots and where there's more, it's brighter red, and where it's less, well, where there's no data, obviously it's 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 blank. But uh, um, yeah, it's just it's super cool to kind of be able to see that and then see where they went, kind of like you said, where they migrate. So the first one to start with is the mallard. So um, you got that one pulled up as well, Elliot. Yep, I got. Remember, guys, you can access these images on Fellowship of the Duck Gun. Yeah. So, like you said, I mean, there's there's mallards that bred in the Perry pothole region um, all the way up the West coast and everywhere in between. So, which is crazy. I mean, there's, there's mallards that are banded in the Perry pothole region 
that are being shot close to where I'm locally in Indiana, you know? Um, so that, that definitely is, you know, surprising to me, I guess. What's really cool is you can see the river systems with the mallards. So look at those rivers. You yep. can see the Mississippi. You can see the Missouri. Do you know what that lateral left right line is? Which which river that is? Is it uh, in your state? Is that the one you're talking about? No, it's north. It's north. North. It's in Nebraska. It's in Nebraska, and it goes east and west. It's the Platte. It's the Platte. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So it is right there. See where there you got the North Platte and the South Platte. That's right where Flatlander Kennels is. And so all this all this uh, banding data um, from these mallards are just solid red up and down the Mississippi River, up and down the Missouri River, and east and west along the Platte River, and that's super fascinating. You know, one thing that's crazy there, too, if you look at, like, with mallard and the banding there, I mean, the thickest, reddest part of that band data is through the Mississippi like all along that river starting mm-hmm. in the west tip of Kentucky all the way down the, to the delta into the ocean. Just solid, solid. Now that, solid. that's along that's along the Mississippi River. Yeah, along right? the Mississippi River. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So solid red. You know, what what does that make us think about all the southern hunters who have been complaining? <laughs> seriously. Seriously. <laughs> it looks like they're just smashing them, right? Yeah. It does yeah. right through the Mississippi. So now, do you know on this data, is this just last year's data, or is this historical? Um, you know what? Let me just double check that. on that. But I, I can't imagine that's last year's. It must be historical, right? And it's funny, guys. So right in between, right um, west, or I'm sorry, yeah, west of the Mississippi, and I don't know what state it is. I almost think that's Arkansas. I can't tell because everything's so red. There's a big circle where just no banded mileage are shot. And that that is not where you would want to live. But what a fat that's this honestly a very, very fascinating map. And another cool thing about this map is that there's birds that are quite a few birds that are band, that are shot that are banded north of their breeding ground, which is interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just reading it right here. So it says each hunter or each okay, let me read the whole thing. Every duck that comes to your hand arrives there with a story. This week we're posting maps showing band recoveries by hunters for birds that were banded as hatchier or local flightless ducks in the prairie pothole region. Each reported hunter recovered, oh, sorry, each reported hunter recovery of a banded outside the, the PPR prairie pothole region is represented by a pink dot. These dots represent bands recover band recoveries exclusive from birds tagged as juveniles in the prairie pothole region. So it doesn't say the year, but yeah, mm. but yeah, yeah. so it must be, it could be historical data. So, um, but I don't know how far back that'd be interesting to know. We'll have to maybe another question. Oh, man, for, that Mississippi area, like you said, from Kentucky down to the ocean is just solid. Solid red. So you out of state hunters be looking for a trip and you want to go somewhere. You want to go to Louisiana, Kentucky, Texas. That's where you want to go. I don't think anyone's nobody's saying to go to Kentucky. They got like they got like 10% of their state as red and the rest is white. Yeah, well that go to that one spot. <laughs> I will say there's not very many red dots in Indiana, unfortunately. Yeah. So what if you in Kansas and Oklahoma and Nebraska and Yeah, you, know, you can see I mean it goes right through there. You can kind of see the path that 
you know, yep. that I'd kind of want to be in <laughs> optimally, right? So, yeah, you, you certainly can. And it's crazy. Can. I wonder, yeah. too, you'd almost need like an overlay of population, too, to kind of see, um, because I think that'd play into it a little bit, too, not just duck numbers. Excuse me. But, yeah, let's go okay. ahead. Let's jump to the next one. The elusive, some would call it a unicorn, the pintail. <laughs> So, pintail banding data, and you know, again, it's pretty similar. You can keep, you can see prairie pothole region, and they're flying all the way over to north part of Washington, all the way th- down through California. I mean, all the way through uh, Mexico. You see that too? I didn't notice that in the last one, but yeah, yeah. but yeah, there was the mallards clear down into Mexico too, but not near as many. There's not near as many as there are pintails right. in Mexico, which is crazy, mm-hmm. right? And the large majority yeah. of these seem the pintails seem to be on the east, the far east part of Texas, and then Alabama and Louisiana. No Louisiana, right? Not Alabama. But And California is just loaded red with bands as well. Yeah. But still not near as many as over you know, but that 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 also comes into, you know, where does the uh, that other thirty percent of the breeding population, you know, are the are they breeding to the north of California? Because California mm-hmm. kills a ton of ducks, so these red, the red dots yeah. here seem like they don't represent. I, th- I mean, I think that part of this infographic is to show how important the prairie pothole region is, and it's extremely important for uh, our duck hunting numbers and and you know the sport of duck hunting as well. So, um, mm-hmm. but it doesn't show a full story of like bands per state and all that kind of stuff. But it's you know, it's, again, it's not even about the bands. Like, you see the bands, and then you can, from that, you can look at that data is that's where the ducks are going. So, um, yeah. you know, the river systems, they use that to migrate and all that. So, um, but, yeah, it, it is just really cool to, to kind of see see through there. Um, but, yeah, even in, in Wisconsin, there's some little clumps. It makes me want to, like, to explore these places on the map. I don't know about you. Like when you look at them, you see all these red yeah. dots. I'm like, oh, that's only like three hours away from me. Well, I wonder what's there. See, and like in my in my zones of Nebraska and Kansas, and when I see the concentration of red, I know what locations those are. I can tell you, oh, that's this spot. That's that spot. That's interesting. On the pintail, it's still a line down the Mississippi that really concentrates in the Gulf Coast, but you cannot see the plat. You cannot see the plat in Nebraska with the pintails. You can see the Missouri a little bit, but not much, which is interesting. There's just so many less of them. But the Mississippi, sure, man, I've never hunted the Mississippi flyway. But, man, that whole section all down that Mississippi River. And that must be some fantastic hunting. Yeah. Yeah, I know that uh, Chase from somewhere in Wisconsin hunts the Mississippi a lot. And I've never hunted the mm-hmm. Mississippi River. So... Um, but yeah, it definitely looks, looks good. And it looks like the further South you go, it gets better. I would, that's what I would kind of derive from, from looking at these charts. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I think, yes, I, I think that they concentrate. So it's like when they get that far South, the birds must just absolutely concentrate. And as they're going there, there's more, it's like, there's more routes to get to that spot. Well, just, I mean, if, that spot if you look though, if you look at like Wisconsin, mm-hmm. 
and the Mississippi River on that right, and then you follow mm-hmm. it down, and right when you get to like Kentucky, yeah, it, like it's not more concentrated there. Like look at the the rest I mean, of the, Wisconsin. The, I'm saying the birds. Well, yeah, yeah I'm saying that too. But from like from what you can see from the dots, like it just it it's still spread out. Mm-hmm. But like the rest of Wisconsin, that's not on the Mississippi. Yeah, yeah it's not the. Oh yeah, uh huh. That's yeah. kind of, uh, yeah. It just seems I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's right there. Like if you look at Texas, Oklahoma, Kansas, Nebraska, it's really spread out with red dots. It's not concentrated mm-hmm. like it is. Yeah, like you're saying. Yeah, so the central areas. flyway it seems like it's more spread out. It does, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. Very interesting. Um, but it is interesting because in Missouri, there's a lot of complexes in Missouri, but you can't, you can only identify, at least with these Pentel map we're looking on, I can only identify two complexes. One of them, I'm pretty sure I know which one of them is. And the other one clear over there on the east side, I don't know what it is, but there's a lot of great complexes in Missouri, but you don't see, you don't see many. It's like totally different than Missouri, than Kansas and Nebraska and Oklahoma and the, yeah. the distribution. Yeah. And Missouri is a great waterfowl state. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it'd be interesting with California as well to, to ask Titus if the big blobs are like where their refuges is, where the refuges are as well, because it seems like that's what in California the majority of people hunt the refuge system, because um, it's super yeah. hard to get private permission. So I bet you Titus could name some of those just by looking at them. I bet. Oh yeah. For sure. Well, there's a couple more I want to hit up. I want to hit up Canvasback because I thought that was pretty unique uh, on the map as well because um, Prairie Pothole region and then the only places that really, really stand out as really bright spots. Like, I mean, even look, they, they go all the way on the West Coast. Yeah. From the Prairie Pothole region. Or, sorry, not the West Coast. The East, East Coast. Yeah. there's. I mean, there's heavier concentrations on the East Coast than anywhere else mm-hmm. coming out of the Prairie Pothole region. So. Yeah. Yeah, is that looks like the Chesapeake Bay area? I think, isn't it? Probably, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. But even then, but too, it's, it's, I think it's this bird. Look. It, yeah, but I would say on this bird in particular, it seems like it, they almost have a, a tendency to shift to the east. So, yeah, which is mm-hmm. more so. Yeah, which is crazy, right? <laughs> yeah, because you can see the Upper Mississippi has shoots has a lot more with the canvas back than with the pintail, mm-hmm. even. Oh yeah, and a lot less concentration. Like with the pintail, the massive concentration was down on the Gulf Coast, and the canvasback. There's as many bands being shot in the Upper Mississippi as there is on the Southern, which is interesting, isn't it? Yeah, for sure. And then another one that was super interesting to me is blue winged teal because I feel like I mean we just don't we don't get very many where I'm at, but I am seeing some splotches there, so. Um, mm-hmm. you know, maybe that means I need to do some more scouting and, and, uh, work a little harder to get on them. But then besides that, you know, um, further to, further to the West, you know, not too far from me, man. I mean, look at that Wisconsin region right there. <laughs> That's yeah. what I'm saying. I look at that. I'm like, man, that, that Wisconsin yeah. splotch almost looks as good as some of the central flyway. Now, I know that Chase shoots some teal, but I've never, I mean, I've never seen, I've never thought of his teal hunting as world-class. Maybe, yeah, it's maybe not world-class, but, um, but. I mean, if you look at the map here and it looks like there's a lot of. 
Yeah, way more teal in that general area than I would have thought. There's a lot of hunters too, so that's the other thing to consider. There's a lot true. of hunters in Wisconsin. That's true. Very. Yeah, that's true. There's got, and I don't even know what it is, but I bet they have triple the number of hunters in Wisconsin than they have in Kansas or Indiana. Well, you can certainly identify the places I teal hunt on this map based on the clumps of red for sure. So how come you haven't shot any uh, blue wing bands yet? I don't know, man. I don't know. <laughs> I talked to a guy. Um, he actually reached out to me on Instagram. It was funny. And he he was like, man, check it out. Because he hunts the same place I hunted, and he had identified it through some of my videos. And he's like, I shot this blue wing band in this pool. A week later, he shot another blue wing band in the exact same pool. Mm. Two of them. And then I ran into him. Um, about a month later and a nice guy, really nice guy. Did he have him on his uh, lanyard? I don't know. I didn't look. How <laughs> do you feel about bands on lanyard? Where do you sit on that? Cause some guys are all about it. And then some guys are really against it. And then other guys are kind of in the middle. They don't really care. Yeah. I would say that most people don't like there's, I don't, I've never met anybody who says putting, putting bands on your lanyard is dumb. Actually coming into waterfowl, I just thought it was the thing that everybody did. It was just like part mm-hmm. of the, like, it's just what you do. Like there's, there wasn't any other alternative. You just, when you mm-hmm. got a band, you put it on your lanyard. And for me, I mean, I think that's awesome. You know, kind of display mm-hmm. your trophies in a way that like every time you wear them, when you hunt for me, I, I love it. I love the idea of it. Um, yeah. So I, I'm all about it. You know, I got, I got all my bands on my lanyard and you know, so I'm, I think for me, now I only have two. I've got two Mallard Drakes, shot them back-to-back years. And I would have no issue with having those two bands on my um, lanyard. I would feel prideful and boastful if I had 30 on a lanyard. And I'm not saying there's anything necessarily wrong with it. I'm saying how I would, I would be embarrassed to wear that lanyard. Because it's almost like... It's, um, it's almost like winning an Olympic gold medal and just wearing it around all the time. <laughs> I mean, at some point, it's it's a little bit like, okay, come on, man. We know no, but it'd be like if you – I think the, the difference is that if you wear it at like um, oh, like an Olympic award ceremony or something, like because you're right. actually at the Olympics or – you know what I mean? Compared to like – because we don't wear our lanyards like around in public. But when we're with our other hunters, we're out there hunting, that's a little different, mm-hmm. right, compared to just wearing it everywhere. Yeah, I would just feel like I was walking around acting like I was a big shot. That's how I would feel if I had 30 lanyards on my band. Yeah. I wouldn't, I wouldn't like, I couldn't do it. Now, if I met a guy that did it and he was humble and he didn't have his chest puffed out, because you know these guys, (laughs) right? Then I would have no issue with it. But it feels automatically a little bit chest puffed out. I guess, I guess if you run into someone, but like the thing is, it's something that grows over the years. Like if you get 30 mans, mm-hmm. that's like a lifetime, you know, Yeah, that's a lifetime of hunting and you kind of earn that, you know, you earn that, uh, well, but see, I think it go, all goes to the person. Like, I don't know if Joel Strickland, um, where's I'm kind of thinking he has quite a few lane laying your, uh, on his lanyard and it, Joel is the type of guy. It wouldn't bother me one bit. He is such a humble, just salt of the earth. Amazing man. That it wouldn't bother me one bit. But if it was some guy that was like a little bit cocky and like acted like he thought he was, you know, really cool, then it would probably bother me. So if Matt ever shot a band, he couldn't wear it around you? <laughs> Has Matt never shot a band? <laughs> he, sh- he shot one. It's the first one he ever 
<laughs> first duck you ever shot. Yeah. Yeah. So hard to shoot those. It's hard to shoot bands. You don't just shoot lots and lots every year. I know. I've been spoiled, man. I've shot. I shot six in the last two years. My first. <laughs> oh my gosh! How many of those were ducks? <laughs> two. Yeah. And I was uh, a part of three duck bands. And yeah, uh, crazy. the crazy part was we shot them. So I went with Kevin from Michigan. That's who I shot all three of the bands with. So the first one we shot and we, and I drew for it. So all three of us shot at the bird. It fell. Chief retrieved it, came back and everybody jumping high five. We did the, the, the thing at the end where we did the shell and I drew, actually I went last. So, or no, I didn't go last. I can't remember now. No, yeah, first, first, uh, the other Kevin went first, and then I went second. I think I can't remember. Mm-hmm. Either way, I won the draw, um, and I was super stoked about it because I I didn't have a duck band, but neither did Kevin, and Kevin's been hunting hard for like twenty years. Jeez, <laughs> oh, so you feel bad like going to someone else's yeah. hunt, and then you you yeah. draw the band, and you can tell he's a little disappointed um, because like yeah, the other Kevin had he had two or three duck bands, and they both have like five or six or seven goose bands. Um, mm-hmm. You know, somewhere in there. I don't know. Maybe it's four or five or six, something like that. Um, but anyways, and then like the next week I go home and the next the next hunt I went on <laughs> and uh, we had a flock of geese come in and I'd ran camera for the beginning of the hunt and I was the only one left with the bird. So we literally we finished a flock of 20. I sat up. I like looked around kind of like slowly and bam, uh, pulled the trigger on like <laughs> one of the last birds and dropped it and came back banded goose. Just like, you can't make that up next hunt. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, and then later on that year, I went on a solo hunt. I shot one goose. It was banded. So that was my yeah. first, that was my first three. And then I've only, I've only seen um, two duck. I've only seen two duck bands shot. And those are the two I shot. And all my years of hunting, I've only even seen two and they were both mine. That's crazy. I've seen, uh, I've seen, (laughs) I've seen seven and I think I've got six of them. (laughs) Uh, just duck. I've, I've seen goose bands. Oh, okay. I mean, we saw what we had four that one hunt alone this year. Yeah, you're right. I guess I have seen more than seven. And then we've had two or one snow goose band that my dad gave to corn unwanted, unwarrantedly just gave it to him. It still annoys me. Yeah, um, I have a story I mean, like we that. We were all too. just shooting, and they were all dropping like crazy. We dropped like thirteen. He's like, "Oh, I think Jeff shot." That. How do you think Jeff shot that one? <laughs> that was There's before no cameras. Think that? Yeah, we weren't filming. This is yeah before we film. We're filming. Yeah, like he just gave it to him. It should have been a draw. Oh yeah, been a draw. Yeah. And then Aiden, I've seen Aiden shoot a couple. Nice. Some um, goose bands. Goose bands are a lot easier to come by than duck bands. Duck They're bands, a lot easier. They're still cool. I though. covet the duck band. Yeah, but you, the, there's something more special about a duck band just because it's more rare. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's more something more cool about a duck band that's not a mallard because it's more rare too. So, um, yeah, that's. I mean, that's for sure. It, the more rare the band, I think the, I think that the, for me anyway, the cream of the crop would be a banded pintail drake. Yeah, for sure. Yep. Yeah. But to kind of finish off the bands um, on my bands, so then fast forward to the next year, back back to the Kevins. So I go on a hunt with Kevin, just me and Kevin, and the first bird of the day that comes in, man, it comes right over top of us, and we both stand up. He's in front of me, 
And so like I'm I'm literally like trained on the bird, ready to follow up on a shot, and he crumples it his first shot. And it literally falls one foot in front of him and he picks it up and it was banded. <laughs> so <laughs> that was awesome. I was so glad that he got it, you know. Um yeah. because I would oh man, I'd feel so bad if I would have if he would have missed and I would have like pulled the trigger like a second after him and shot a banded duck. <laughs> just yeah, because he, I, I know he wanted it bad, but then no yeah. joke. The next hunt with them, the next hunt with them, the next it was like three or four days later, and the first duck of the next hunt I shot and it was a banded mallard hen. So <laughs> it's weird. They seem like they come in clumps. Yeah, yeah. Mine came two years in a row, and then I think it was like around two thousand seven, two thousand eight, two thousand eight, two thousand nine, something like that. Um. And then nothing. Shoot, fumbles has only shot a couple. He's had a couple shot out right from under him where he's getting ready to pull the trigger. Like back to back hunts, he had that happen where he's just getting ready to pull the trigger, and uh, the guy that he was with took it, killed it. And one of them was like twelve years old. It was like the numbers were kind of worn off. And, and so yeah, bands are really really cool. They they don't honestly they're not much of a part of my consciousness. I'm not the type of guy that thinks about a band every time I pick up a duck because I mean at some point. <laughs> I'm trying to think there. how many how many ducks I've killed since I shot a band. Like a thousand. Um, probably not that much, but I'm trying if it's been maybe, I mean it's been 12, 13 years. I mean, yeah, maybe. Yeah. Maybe a thousand. So I mean, after you go through a thousand birds without a band, you don't look on every bird. You know? I mean, I was getting that way for four or five seasons. I was almost five seasons without a band. Mm-hmm. And you just when I first started, I thought about it a lot because you see it, you see the videos. It's almost glorified a little bit. Um, just because of how people are in general, right? Like you're saying, like it, it's really cool to get a band and know mm-hmm. the history and the story of it. Um, but I was like looking every bird. I'm like, is this one banded? Is this one banded? Like you, you like, flip them over and like, and it got to the point where it's like, like you said, you just don't think about it anymore. And then, oh, yeah. and then all of a sudden you get one and then it's like the next time you get one, I'm like, uh, maybe I should start checking every time. Like, yeah. Yeah. I've probably thrown <laughs> some away. Yeah. <laughs> not knowing the thought did cross my mind. It's like, like double check these, make sure there's nothing there. And then yeah. it gets to the but, point where it's like, uh, you start getting disappointed. You're like, dang it. Nothing's banded today. No, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've never felt that. <laughs> Although I'm starting to be like, God, man, come on. It's been like 12 years. I'm yeah. shooting a bunch of ducks. I'm shooting enough ducks to well, think get of, one. Yeah, but think the, about the, the flyaways. Is- Since uh, in the last three years, I've shot two uh, ducks. Um, Titus has shot two, right? Josh has shot one. You know, not to mention he shot mm-hmm. a ton of goose bands. Thomas shot a farm yeah. band. <laughs> so it's just you and Matt who haven't shot one. Yeah. And I think Thomas right. shot Thomas shot a he shot some banded geese, right? I I don't know, I don't remember if he has or not. But yeah, so I just don't shoot enough. I mean, I only shoot ten to twelve geese a year. Sometimes now that's about it. So it's going to be hard for me to shoot a lot of goose bands if you're only shooting ten to twelve geese a year. Yeah, yeah. Josh is shooting like ten or twelve per hunt. <laughs> Yeah, I'm wondering how. I wonder how. I wish he kept his by his group. I, how I mean, not shots. just him. Yeah, I, I just I wish he kept his records because it'd be nice to know how many birds 
he yeah. shoots in a year. You I mean, kind of guess they do shoot a little bit. They do shoot a lot. They have a lot of farm pond hunts that they shoot a lot mm-hmm. of geese for sure. I think he shot more geese this year than he did ducks. I bet you he shot two to one geese to ducks this year. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've seen with uh with local hatches and all that. Man, I've been seeing a lot of geese around here. Mm-hmm. So it'll be I th- I sh- not even like the the this year's hatch, but I mean like last year's hatch, the ones that didn't mate, and you get the the big groups that got together. Like I'm already seeing big groups right now mm. of geese from last year that didn't mate. So we had a really, I think we had a really really good hatch last year because we were super wet. Yeah. So locally, but. But yeah, I think that pretty much wraps up kind of what we wanted to hit on there. Like I said, we're gonna go ahead and share these these photos, and this all this data was um, put together by Delta. So we're not trying to take credit for it. We're just we're just uh, you know going over their data and sharing it with you guys because it's super interesting. You can see it for yourself over on their their social media as well, and then we'll share the links to that over there on our. Um, Fellowship of the Duck Gun page as well, so you guys can check it out and follow along. Um, if you, if unless you're driving or something like that, but if you're able to while you're listening, and but yeah, anything, uh, any last words, Elliot? I would say make sure that you're donating also either to Delta's a great organization. I've had more dealings with them than I've had Ducks Unlimited. Although Ducks Unlimited is a fantastic organization as well, so don't forget to support what these guys are doing because they are the lifeblood in the future of our sport without restoring and protecting our wildlife and our waterfowl, you know, it's a resource that could be gone. So don't forget to go and support one or both of those organizations. Definitely. Definitely. And kind of along the same lines, you know what you're saying there, kind of all this data does really point back to, I mean, we've said it multiple times during the podcast, but man, when you see this and see where all the ducks go, um, because before I saw this data, honestly, you know, we talked to John Devney in the past and, and, and that kind of helped, you know, shape my mentality about this or my thoughts on it in the past. But the prairie pothole region affects every part of the U.S. from the East Coast mm-hmm. to the West Coast, which is crazy. And I didn't realize that. I just, you know, I assumed that they kind of just almost went in a straight line north to south, just following the water sources. But no, you know, if they're in the prairie pothole region, there you're getting a lot of ducks. You know, if you're anywhere around them, and then even if you're not, you're, you're still getting some of the ducks migrating through your area as well. So, but yeah, that's all we got for tonight, guys. I'm Jordan, Ducking Chronicles, Elliot from Freelance Ducking, and we'll see you guys on the next one.